Did you see that we got mentioned on Football 365's list of I did not. podcasts? Did Described you? a set-piece menu with Rory Smith and three others, which I really <laughs> oh, liked. No. <laughs> That's like that Johnny Narcissist and the other guys, isn't it? It's come to pass. I can't believe that. Well, it's true. I, I don't mind that. You should be the most offended by that. No, I'm not at all. No, 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 no. Rory no. Smith, not a former footballer and two others. <laughs> <laughs> I've long since come to terms with the fact that I'm the passenger here, though. By the way, passenger, no. listen, no one's the passenger. Being a passenger no. is the best thing. We're all we're all the driver. <laughs> I got a really really patronising yeah. pat on the shoulder from Gemma. Oh, oh, no, I think we all know oh, who the passenger. But you're the glue that holds it together here. You are. Exactly. I'm, not, I'm not the glue. Mm. Kate has produced feedback. Produced feedback, which <laughs> having listened to is one it strange half, choice of words, considering one half of one episode, Kate has given her opinion. Right, how pregnant women work. <laughs> uh, apparently, we need to n- not talk over each other. Uh, that's true. Uh, unfortunately, we are bursting with so many great ideas, and I do think talking over each other is a unique selling point. <laughs> <laughs> it is. You think so? And well, it is what, a huge change. It's, t- it's been talk, basically I talk your entire like that. career. This is what people <laughs> yes. want, isn't it? I tried to teach you not, not to, to do that. But you still, Steve Claridge, every time. Yeah, Steve Claridge. <laughs> I'm going to leave a long pause before I say anything. <laughs> Steve Claridge, you are a friend of the podcast and are welcome at any time. Mm. I have had a tweet from somebody actually asking what you need to do to earn status of friend of the podcast. And what did you say? Yeah, what you was said, the well, pay us money. Yeah, yeah, financial. Come up with some really good ideas. I think we should do what we do in normal life where we put our potential friends through a series of exacting challenges. That's true. An yeah. initiation, if you will. A hazing, like a Japanese yeah. game show. Yeah, a lot like that, I think. Yeah. Like running up stuff and then falling <laughs> into other things. Like the gladiators. That's not really particularly hard, is it? I'd quite like Jet from Gladiators well, to be a friend of the podcast. Well, this is true. Um, Gemma has, has returned um, from a Hindu that she enjoyed last weekend. Her Hindu. Her Hindu. Not just any old Hindu. Yeah. You've undersold that massively. Well, well okay. A not, Hindu that involved just, her particularly. Not just some punter's Hindu. Oh, no, that's true. Not yeah. Dave Jones from next door to Andy Hinchcliffe's Hindu. The famous architect. <laughs> famous <laughs> architect. Mm. Um, we decided that there wouldn't be any contact during, during the weekend. I think that's normal, isn't it? Um, but Very I did steep, get yeah. one photograph from a friend of Gemma's which just had her holding up a picture of me when I was about six and a picture of what I thought was Jet from Gladiators <laughs> and the, the suggestion was is that I was marrying Jet from Gladiators which I was incredibly happy about. That'd be amazing. I sought to clarify this and uh, was told that it was Nicole Scherzinger. Why we, was a picture of childhood Hugh held up Next to a picture Gemma of was given Center. presents by each of the attendees okay. at her Hindu, and she had to guess who those presents were from, bearing in mind what those presents were. So a picture of me at the age of six could only have come from my mum, who yeah. was, of course, on the Hindu. And smashed, by and all accounts. nobody's <laughs> smashed. The pills she takes, goodness <laughs> me, they are a gateway. Yeah. Um, and um, and the, who did the Nicole Scherzinger picture come from? Helen. A friend called Helen, who is not old enough to know who Jet from Gladiators is. But why... Was Gemma given a picture of Nicole Scherzinger? Yeah, it like you see, other people can say that. Yeah. I can't. So Hugh is now is, has set this entire thing up to boast <laughs> that his fiance looks like Nicole Scherzinger, which I would say but is not, I, not too far off. To be fair. I want to see a picture it's of a, you when you were six. Have you got a reasonable go, comparison? Can you go and get the picture of me when I was six? Do you look as stupid as you as you do now back then? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Can I, so to get away from your humble bragging, I once wrote at the age of about 11 or 12, I wrote a, a love letter to Jet from Gladiators. Did you? Did. did she respond? I don't know, but she is now, Diane Udale is now, I'm happily married, <laughs> but Diane Udale is now a personal trainer in the Hampshire area, I believe. Well, is I'm that about right? to make you incredibly jealous. <gasps> oh, no. Because where Jet from Gladiators, when she was Jet from Gladiators, was a personal trainer, was in the leisure centre immediately adjacent 
adjacent to where I went to school. Is that right? Yes. And there oh was quite God. the spike in attending yeah, the classes yeah. there at that particular Spike time. Spike being the operative word. Uh, but yeah, uh, the, the, um, the no, probably isn't the operative word. No. <laughs> attendee. Is the exactly. Spike sounds completely wrong and violent. <laughs> See, I, I feel like I have an association with Jet via <laughs> geographical Sorry. Oh, God, is this the picture? Oh, oh, We've been presented with a picture of me. I think, what, what age, did she say what age I was in this picture? We'll uh, put this on Twitter for everybody who I'm sure is absolutely gay. Is that you? To see a picture of me. Look like you, actually. It'd be brilliant if Hugh's mum had produced a picture of someone else. <laughs> someone <laughs> else's more attractive child. It's my brother. <laughs> I'm slightly concerned this is one of those embarrassing situations where a parent is so disappointed by the way that their child has turned out. Yeah. That they've actually used one of those stock photos that you get that comes, comes in, in the frame. frame. <laughs> yeah. And they've just convinced themselves that that was Hugh age six. So this is Hugh. He's, he's just, just he's strike just that pose. Strike that pose. I'm striking the pose next strike to the picture pose. of me when I was six, which is strangely very similar if you look at the frame to the picture of Andy Hinchcliffe from his passport where he is smouldering. Yeah. No, he's so and rather sensual. Oh, damn handsome. So I've got a picture where I'm also mm, smouldering mm. and sensual. Only problem is I'm five years old. Welcome to Set Piece Menu, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Let's introduce the team once again, shall we? We all work in football, although Andy's still working at football. It's a bit embarrassing. <laughs> I'm Hugh Ferris. I recently watched a 5-0. Steve Wyeth recently commentated on a 1-1. The last game that Andy Hinchcliffe worked on finished with Blackburn being relegated <laughs> and Rory Smith spent last week not watching any football because it wasn't glamorous enough for him That's so he's true. going to make amends I would imagine I did watch some footballers didn't, didn't go to any it didn't, wasn't, get it. didn't appeal the New York Times doesn't need to cover everything does it we were actually going to be at Rory's house today but as it turns out owing to uh, medical reasons we have made a very dramatic late change so we are at mine although uh, Rory has still provided some excellent pretzels which I think everybody has enjoyed. There is also some lovely fresh fruit alongside it. We feel very cosmopolitan at you the moment. You just handled the pretzel. Yes, and then I'll put it back Don't put it back again. I'm going to have it later. That was me claiming the pretzel. Thank you. Um, we thought about being outside today, but it turned out to be not quite as nice as we yeah, thought. We and the sky man was coming around to fix my sky, um, and he was going to come at exactly the same time that we had organised to have the podcast recording. As it turns out, he was very punctual, came early, and he has now left, so we are actually in the living room, as we always are. I think I speak for all of us when I say I'm impressed by how punctual Sky are. Yes. And it's not only that, Rory, but the tremendous value for money that they provide with their service. Do you think this will get us, like, a deal? If, if we can't get a deal via a person who works for Sky... Oh, yeah. Works. Works. Mm. <laughs> turns well, up with a bad job. contract <laughs> in the loose, you know, grey area, whether you're employed or not. A contract is more than any of the rest of us have, so that's fine. Uh, thank you for all your tweets and emails. We are very, very happy to steal your ideas, so please do keep them uh, coming in at setpiecemenu on Twitter, uh, and also setpiecemenu at gmail.com. We wanted to thank Richard Gibbon for getting in touch. Um, and saying this, thanks for all your work on the podcast. It's swiftly becoming a part of my weekly listening, and it's refreshing to have a football podcast which is dealing with broader concepts rather than the latest results. Mm. I have, as instructed, recommended the podcast to others, but sadly introduced them to it by using the player teaser from a few episodes ago. In retrospect, I'm not sure that giving them an infuriating question for which I didn't have the answer was the best way of converting them, but I will keep trying. So once again, that only trivia question that we decided might be the first of many has proved to be our complete undoing. That came just 
just for the record, from Andy Hinchcliffe. Uh, subscribe, review, rate, and tell your friends, as Richard has been attempting to do, um, and keep us riding up those iTunes charts. Thank you very much indeed. If you're new to the podcast, your homework is to catch up on the previous 22 episodes. Have we done 22 episodes? 22. This is number 23. Time flies when you're having a good time. It well, does. I'm right you. This is the longest well, relationship I've ever had. You've done, you've done 21, obviously. You've not done All 22. Right, oh, yeah. It's probably yeah. why it doesn't feel quite yeah. as long. You've done, um, well, you, hang on a second. You've done 21 and a half at best. That's true. You. Oh, do you remember when you had your voice? <laughs> sitting, sitting around tapping a glass. I was, listen, really I was ever present, Stephen. Yeah. Ever present. I was there. I was present. I contributed. You did not. You're only ever present because we arrange our entire schedule around when you're in Portugal. And? You're ever present as we bend over backwards to accommodate you and your your list of insane ex-Premier League demands. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> when, was the, when was the last time, by the way, that Andy Hinchcliffe was ever present during the course of the That's a very good point. Yeah. Never, it's amazing. It's amazing. I don't, I've ever played a full season. It's amazing he's not missed one of these through injury. <laughs> Before you catch up on those episodes, we'd like you to indulge yourself in some non-chronologically sound listening for the next half an hour or so as we discuss one footballing subject until the end of Andy's attention span. And then... <laughs> Then we ask him to tell us a soccer story. And you'll have to concentrate particularly hard this time, Andy, because we are going to lean on your expertise a great deal. Because today's subject is three at the back. Chelsea are going to win the league with it. Hipsters' managers use it, if you listen to hipster fans, just to be hipster. Even Arsene Wenger's trying it after 20 years of a back four. So how does it work? Why does it work? And if it does so successfully, why doesn't everybody do it? As it turns out, it's something of a second coming of the back three because it was cool once before because Andy Hinchcliffe was at the forefront of the revolution back in the mid-1990s because they couldn't put him into a back four because Mm. he didn't do his job well enough. (laughs) So they created a new formation just to squeeze you in. You are the Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain of the 1990s. That's high praise. It really (laughs) is high praise. How many podcasts have we done? 20? This is 23. I've made notes for the this first... Is, this is turning over I knew how serious a subject this was. I've made notes on this issue. I've got three major talking points, right, so which once on. I bring them up, it's just going to... It'll just blow your mind. Don't, blow, don't blow them all at the beginning. All oh, right. I have a question. Is, have you made notes to talk about tactics because you're pitching for Danny Higginbotham's job? <laughs> Very possibly. Yeah. Higginbotham or Bottom? I can't remember. We've had this conversation before and we didn't decide then either. Danny is very much the, the tactics guy, isn't he? He is. Yeah. Does he have a he truck? He's tactics guy. No. Well, then he's not the tactics guy. He drives guy, a ute like Alf from Home and Away. <laughs> he's building one. He's building he's one. Stone the flaming crows, does he? Yeah. Stone the crows. So perhaps you'd like to the first throw point. in the first point. First point is do coaches, do managers play three at the back because of the players they have available? If they don't have natural fullbacks, if they don't have wide players, wingers, are they forced into playing that way because of the squad that they have? Well, we were discussing just just a few minutes ago, Andy. Was I here? You were indeed. <laughs> oh, I wasn't listening. That was before your attention span began. That, yep. if you think about fullbacks, yes. there's not many knocking about these days. It's almost like that mid-1990s generation of fullbacks were, were the last of the great fullback generations. Increasingly, fullbacks look like deep-lying winners. The players in the Danny, Alva, Danny Alves mould. Mm. So you wonder whether the rise of the three at the back is because the emphasis for fullbacks is so much more on attacking mm-hmm. than on defending. That is the, the sort of the common misconception, isn't it, in British football that that playing three at the back is a overtly defensive manoeuvre that you're parking the bus. Whereas actually, you could look at it more positively that it's it's an attacking move. You're, you're actually playing one fewer defender mm-hmm. and you're giving your 
what would have been fullbacks licensed to play almost as, mm-hmm. as wingers. And that seems to be the way that, that teams have used it more positively. So there, 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 there are two things already. I hope we haven't stolen your second point at like three minutes uh, into the conversation. No, you haven't. So that's good. Mm. And so the two, two things. First of all, lack of fullbacks at the moment. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is whether it's positive or negative. Three at the back isn't necessarily five at the back. So let's let's deal with one at a time. Fullbacks. Why are fullbacks now considered so attacking that they can't defend and there aren't fullbacks that can defend? So you almost have to find a way well, going to get them on to my second salient point. Oh, already? Goodness me. Uh, well, a lot of teams, their, their formations now are getting narrower and narrower. Everything is played through the middle of the park. That's football parlance. It just means in the centre of the pitch. Um, <laughs> because there's no kind of Did wingers. No, I didn't actually. I just made that up. But if you have no wingers or wide players, the teams are crying out for width. And the only way really to get that, if your wide players are always looking to come in field and, and affect the play from there, fullbacks then become the wide players. So, so this is why you play wingbacks. Because we've seen in the last five, six years that wide players in that 4-2-3-1 that a lot of teams played for about sort of 10 years between the mid-2000s and a couple of years ago, in that 4-2-3-1 there was an increasing tendency for the, the wide players in the three to play on the opposite side yes. to their natural feet, which was because of things like data analysis and what have you, identifying certain locations as being optimum for shot positions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and for through balls, which means you don't want crossing except when it's done with the art of, of chinch mm. crossing is relatively unreliable it's not it's not the perfect way of of creating chances there's an element of randomness if you can get players into that into those sort of central areas they call it zone 14 in the way they divide the pitch it's that area kind of edge of the box 10 yards back central if you're in that that part of the pitch then either for, for a through ball or for a for a shot that is your kind of that's your danger area. That's where you want to be. So the idea is to cram as many players as possible into that area and 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 dominate it. Mm-hmm. Which is why you've got this, what pretentious people would call inverted winners. But really, it's just players playing on the wrong side of the pitch. Which means that there has been everything's got narrower. Coming which field, means yeah. you need to find width from somewhere else. And as we've seen, particularly with Barcelona and Dani Alves, Jordi Alba, players like that, the width comes from the fullbacks. The width and the drive comes from the fullbacks. There's then, then becomes like a natural process where the type of player that is around in those teams are winners who are used to playing on the wrong side, which means you don't have any width. So you have to change your formation to, f- to find some width, otherwise, otherwise everything gets kind of clogged up, which means you switch the three at the back, play full-backs further forward, or even take a winner like Jesus Navas and throw him in at right wing-back or Oxlade-Chamberlain. And then you've still got your kind of tricky playmakers playing in that in that line between the forwards and the midfield who can get into zone 14 in that area yeah. is it, it, it it's sort of strengthening the, the case that this is not a defensive decision no. I suppose the, the people are looking at it thinking they start the manager is starting at the back and saying oh, am I going to play four at the back or three at the back and they're not they're thinking what's happening about further up the yeah, field yeah. and actually three defenders is the best solution to, to utilize those attacking tactics mm. yeah it doesn't if, if you get those those wingers or those wing backs to drop back in then you and, and you can cram midfield in front of them then it becomes a more defensive system but ultimately it, it isn't in the first instance a defensive decision well I don't think any system's defensive or attacking it's how you play it there's no there's no formation that is is I'm going to guess like 10-0-0 would be quite defensive <laughs> but, <laughs> but the th- three at the back three at the back can be five at the back because I think other people who have seen three at the back before have assumed that it's closing up the game for the last yeah. 
10 minutes and you've got five at the back I because guess, you are you are trying to stop so that mm. it's almost got a bad association because of that would you say that five four one i mean all, all these all these things are only shorthands we know just so everyone's clear just people in football not changed to these nights but people in football get very angry when people who haven't played football talk about formations <laughs> and they, they think that it means that that we think that everyone stands in the same position mm. all throughout the game we don't think that this is the it's a convenient shorthand to explain roughly what a team is trying to do but i guess that five four one because of the way that it would block the channels, you would assume is a, is a purely defensive manoeuvre. Well, this is why I speak. It's uh, Nigel Clough at Burton Albion. They got promoted from League One to the Championship. He played a back four, played 4-4-2 or 4-4-1-1 in League One. F- relatively defensive. They got promoted off the back of playing that way. Moved to the Championship and he thought, the quality of opposition we're going to be up against, We've got. To, he wanted to try and take the game rather than just try and hold on and stay in the league by being solidly defensive, playing a back four. He changed to a back three. So he plays 3-5-2. And the key thing is he wanted to be positive and play with the front two. You play with a back three, it enables you to play with a front two and also play with plenty of width. So actually he used it. Well, people say, well, a back three, a back five, it's really negative and it's more defensive. It isn't. So when he got promoted, he changed from a back four to a back three and it enabled them to be more positive and actually take the game. And it worked. It's actually kept them up. And I saw them play it a few times and that was genuinely why he changed his system because you can get more attacking players further up the pitch. But these fullbacks that we've been talking about in the back mm. four that tend to bomb on is one of the reasons that, that people play a back three as well and play those players as, as wingbacks is because if you're playing with inverted wingers ahead of fullbacks, they're not chasing back. They're not providing the cover for no. the fullbacks. So if the fullbacks are bombing on providing the width, then they are going to be exposed. And so actually defensively, you are not particularly strong having four at the back mm. with two raiding mm. fullbacks. Yes. So actually there is an element of assurance to, insurance to it mm-hmm. to make sure there are enough people in the centre centre of the park. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, what was your parlance? Sorry. What did middle, I say? Middle, middle of the, of the park. park. Middle, middle of, of the park. park. So I'm just yes. learning. Yeah, yeah. I'll put it on yeah, a whiteboard yeah, yeah, yeah. and tick it off. Um, <laughs> but but you've got enough people in the middle of the park mm-hmm. to be able to cover those wing backs. Well, if, you've, raiding if, if you also see a lot of teams that do start with, say, a back four, when they when they're in possession, their fullbacks will push on. A holding midfielder mm. will drop in between the centre halves. So a back four then in essence becomes a back three. Which two centre halves does and a holding lot. midfielder. Yes. Your fullbacks become wing backs, yeah. and then when you lose the ball. The holding midfielder steps back into midfield, the fullbacks drop it. It's a lot of ground to cover, that is the only problem. And normally, say it's 3 5 2 or, or, or 5, however you look at the formation, it normally works really well with teams that keep possession well. If you keep possession well, then your wing backs can stay really high up the field. Those players in that hot zone, zone mm. 14, can come in field and really influence the game. If you keep possession well and you can't really get caught on the counter attack, it's a really effective system to play. So, how is. Antonio Conte changed Chelsea into a back three to such a success that they're going to win the league because he has brought in David Luiz as a player who clearly didn't work in a back four Mm -hmm. and was ridiculed a great deal because of his inability to defend. But clearly, whether it's because he's got an extra player helping him to defend and protecting him or because he is exactly the kind of player you need in the middle of those three, Mm -hmm. like if it's Pep Guardiola and he has Fernandinho dropping to become a ball-playing third centre-half. Yeah. How does it work for Chelsea? I do think for Louise, what they're looking at is trying to get him on the ball to be positive going forward. Defensively, he is a bit of a liability. I think he has improved. But if you have a defender like Cahill around him, he's a true defender who loves to make tackles, he can then do a lot of the mopping up. You've got extra numbers. You're absolutely right. If you've got three centre-halves or two centre-halves and a holding midfielder, you have that extra strength in numbers. If you play just a pair of centre-halves, and he makes a mistake, you're in big trouble. Mm. But you have got that extra centre-half of holding midfielder to help you out when mistakes are made. I thought this in the 90s, you know, I don't, don't want to sound like I've been wise before the event, but the thing that always interests me with, with three at the back and win-backs is that 
if you think about the improvement, so the 4-4-2 kind of came around in the 60s-ish. That's what it was, 50s, 60s, people started playing 4-4-2. The improvements in fitness and conditioning and diet and all that stuff since then. Strictly speaking, you shouldn't need two players to cover the wide areas. Players are so much fitter now that they, one person probably should be able to do that job. I would guess it'd be interesting to see in teams that play three at the back with win-backs mm-hmm. how frequently it's the win-backs who are substituted because I, de- I bet they get knackered from running up and down the entire time. Mm. But it does seem to me to be a more sensible use of space. And that 3-4-3, which Steve will be able to tell you, Alberto Zaccaroni was playing in Italy in 97, 98 with Udinese. I'm a, I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of his, a real student of his football uh, but, ideas. So 3-4-3 mm. three, three was, Zaccaroni played 3-4-3 three, three, full stop. He just went into teams and said, right lads, we are playing 3-4-3. Three, three. I don't care what you're good at, this is how we play. And, and that was to optimise to give the team the best chance I think of he being felt effective. It, it was the the best use of space uh-huh. for the system mm-hmm. for the, for on, on the pitch, given kind of not just tactical considerations, but things about things like fitness. Mm-hmm. That it it was a a more kind of secure, as you say, you've got that that cover at the back when you are going forward, but it also gives you more options in attack because you've potentially got five or six players each in different positions occupying more smaller pockets of space, which confuses the defence. So, I, yeah, I think it always struck me even in the 90s. And there was a team on Merseyside who played with... There was a really good left wing back yeah, on Merseyside. Stig Inge Bjornaby. Stig Inge Bjornaby. Your nemesis. He was. Oh, yes. Damn him. <laughs> Is that the player that was keeping Chinch out of the combined Merseyside yes, 11? Yes, forever. <laughs> yes. The charity game at the end of the season. And every other Liverpool left back as well. It's all right, Chinch. You can go on holiday. Uh, this is something you've banged on about on the podcast before. It's about, is it not about coaching? Mm. We sort of, when Arsene Wenger played through at the back against Middlesbrough and then in the cup semi-final against City, it's like he discovered, it imported fire from <laughs> continental Europe. Wasn't it like, yeah. mind-blowing? You know, teams have been doing this all over Europe for years. Antonio Conte, who, who Hugh mentioned, he won three successive Italian titles mm. with Juventus playing through at the back, albeit with three exceptional uh, defenders in Chiellini, Barzelli and Bonucci but it, it, it's not a new concept if you're a coach and we've praised Antonio Conte's ability to sort of problem solve and coach his players in the past but if, you, if you've if you got that skill if you're able to analyse the players at your disposal but then also coach them to do the job that's required then then any solution is possible, isn't it? Any formation is possible. We shouldn't be completely blown away by the fact that you know teams are capable of one week playing with mm. three at the back, another with four at the back, because Juventus have been doing that season after season. I mean, Juventus started this season with playing four at the back. They switched to three. They've alternated between it. They've used different formations. In the Champions League, they've chopped and changed from one game to the next. They've been a little bit more settled in, in, in Serie A, but... It's play, the, the moldability of the players at your disposal is surely the biggest contributor. Well, if you, you've seen that in League One, no, no disrespect to, to Burton Albion, but stepping from League One to the Championship, you'd probably feel that bunch of players would struggle to go from playing, say, 4 4 2 to 3 5 2, but they didn't. They looked really comfortable, and there wasn't that many signings to make this happen. I think Nigel had probably an extra centre half rather than a full back, so he kind of forced his hand, but he wanted to be positive. And those players took to it very easily and they look very comfortable look like they've been, been playing it for years so it is possible with good coaching and if the players are willing to really invest themselves and they get well instructed it, it can happen pretty easily the, the, yeah what Steve says and what Chin says are absolutely right as always with both of them <laughs> without exception it's, it is about coaching I think we've seen teams play 3-5-2 or 3-4-1-2 or whatever in, in England this year 3-4-3 and 
it looked really good. So Chelsea, obviously, when Spurs do it, looks they know how to work it. Mm. Other teams have tried it, and it has obviously hasn't been quite as well drilled into them. It takes work. We should ask Chinch at some point how hard it is to get used to playing a new system. So it is all about coaching. It's about the players you have at your disposal, without mm-hmm. a shadow of a doubt. If you don't have players who t- who fit into that system, then it won't work. But I think crucially, one system's not better than the other. It's all about. There's an element of cycle about it. I think that if you that when systems become orthodox, there's always a competitive edge in heresy. That's true of any system. So if if everyone was playing three four three, someone might think actually I'm gonna I'm gonna go four four two and see what happens. Monaco have done it this year. Monaco are playing a straight four four two and got to the Champions League semi final. And, and Claudio Ranieri last year. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bayern were another team who looked like they had the the perfect combination of players at their disposal. Um, Boateng. Uh, Javier Martinez and Hummels to play through it at the back and haven't done that at all. Yeah. So, so what drives that decision to change then? Not the play, just is it because they want to do something different or you think it suits their players better or they've got the adaptability? They've got the intelligent quality players that you can change system? What what drives a coach to change a system? Well, it, in, in the case of Bayern, it's because I don't think they've got the, the players to play as, as wing-backs. Uh-huh. Because I don't think you'd convince Ribéry and Robin to be able to do it at this stage of their career. It might be that you'd have to drop both of them because you'd have, or one of them. Well, the way that that, that, that Arsenal have been playing three at the back is to allow Ozil and Sanchez to not have responsibility. Whether they're inverted wingers or not, they were essentially in the 4-2-3-1. They were the wide players. And if they're playing 3-4-2-1, then they're two number 10s, Mm. which is what Pep Guardiola likes to do at City to try and get both Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva's playing as two number 10s, yeah, yeah. attacking midfielders. Well, actually, I was, I was so so yeah, I would yeah. imagine for Bayern, if they wanted to do it, they, they would have to get their wingers playing as two number 10s, and that probably wouldn't be as successful. Well, so the reason Conte plays three at the back is because he never he didn't play it coming through when he was at Atlanta or Bari or Siena. He basically got to Juventus, noticed he got the best central defence since Maldini and Baresi, and thought, right, I bet probably, probably better not drop any of them. Yes. They're quite good. And so then it was, decide from there. So you, you, I think a lot of coaches will look at units within their team and say, right, at Arsenal we do have two players who are clearly best suited to being two number tens. At Juventus we have three central defenders who all deserve to play and who are a good unit. So I guess it's it's it should be one of those things that coaches do because it suits them best. I think sometimes it is a and Liverpool probably did this this season. It's a response to, there's been a couple of bad results, we need to do something different. And that must be behind Arsenal's decision as well, partly at least. Yeah, I think so, yeah. It, it clearly let's wasn't try working, something. so let's try this. Let's, and let's try and um, get the best out of our, our best players in a different way. Yeah, I was, I was also, there for that Middlesbrough game when they played uh, Monreal as a left wing-back, played three centre-halves, Rob Holding came in, they played Oxlade-Chamberlain as a right wing-back, and you could see them when they were in possession, they were, ca- they were caught, <laughs> and they were you? thinking, because obviously he just changed it and maybe worked on it for a few days, so you could see they were uncomfortable, and you're right, Azil and uh, Sanchez a lot more central in that area of the pitch they can be really effective they both scored in the game as well so, and they, they, it can work and those players in time will become very comfortable with it and it actually suits them but what I was going to say was I think the other thing is that it asks your opposition who scouted you over 10-15 games the scouting is now so intense it asks them a different question for those 5 or 6 games that you first do it you do get to say, well, you're not quite sure how we're going to work this. Just you can say because we're not quite sure. We're <laughs> yeah, yeah, work yeah, yeah. But three four three on paper, fine. It's three three four three. But the the movements are different. Each team interprets it, interprets it slightly differently. That that formation is not 
a rigid kind of this is how you have to do mm. it. You can there's a there's room for a degree of kind of flexibility. Do we then change? Do do we match up with yeah. you? Because the problem you get if you're playing against a system that has three at the back. If you're playing in a back four, if I'm a left back and you're playing against a wing back, you're in that no man's land of you've got people coming inside who are going to be a problem. You don't know whether to clo- get close to the wing back and leave a space in behind you. So then maybe coaches think well, we've got to match up with the opposition because we don't want to leave our players confused and having no one around them not knowing what to do. And it is it's a difficult one when you play a back four against a team that plays a back three the wing backs cause you a lot of problems the, the point that you made Rory about um, orthodox and heresy is interesting because you've got teams who are more often at home than away playing against two banks of four because you, you are a good team and you have a defensive opposition to try and break down quite a lot of the time the difference between the team that wins the league and the teams that don't of the top five and six are those ones who, who manage to break down defensive opposition and I remember it must be about four or five years ago now when Roberto Mancini the year after City won the league in 2012 he decided to to try and flirt with with three at the back because he found that it was a better way of getting around not literally geographically but getting past two banks of four in a defensive team and and I remember everybody at the time saying what are you doing three at the back City need to attack City need to get goals against the team that are are defensive why are you you adding an extra defender but that's that's the point we made at the beginning it's more attacking so how Mm. does how does playing three at the three at the back allow you to try and overcome a very defensive opposition but what you'd say, if a team are playing with a back four and a midfield four say we look at Leicester for example you've got Albrighton and you've got Mahrez as their two wide players if you're playing three at the back you want your wing backs to provide the width the wide players that you have you want to come infield into that really dangerous area you want to drag Albrighton and Mahrez infield then your wing backs become really effective and the opposition's full backs as I just talked about can't get close enough to them to stop crosses coming in so you get the best of both worlds you're causing problems when you have the ball because what you're doing to the opposition is forcing their best players players who want to get on the counter-attack infield and to do a lot of defending into areas they don't want to be. So you make the game congested where you've got really good players to make things happen and you also provide width that the opposition's fullbacks can't deal with. So that's why they play that way. Most teams who are playing against teams who are playing three at the back only play with one striker. Mm-hmm. Is that hard for the defenders? For the, for the team for playing the three. three at the back? Do you, who picks them up? Well, this is, this is where communication, I said about David Luiz, where communication is important. If you're in that Chelsea back line, Cahill picks him up and Luiz is given the, the freedom mm. to roam because he wants to get on the ball and also he hasn't got that discipline of doing a proper defensive job, which Cahill clearly will do. But yeah, sometimes you see teams will change their system to play three at the back themselves to enable them to play two up front to stop a team playing out from the back because if a keeper rolls it out to one of the centre-halves and then they build from there, if you play two up front, you can split the back three and cause them a bit more problems if they're a team that do want to throw it out from the back. So a lot of teams yeah when they when they try and play one up front they can cause themselves problems because they can't get back up the field because they're so defensively deep but if you play two you might give the uh, the, the three centre halves a lot more of a problem but not many teams are brave enough to do that and at the risk of doing a huge job for him uh, as a player no, please I'll do go, his I'll job for up. Him. as a player <laughs> how hard is it how long do you need to learn a, a new system you grew up playing 442 well i played 442 steak and chips steak and chips first time um Joe Royal came to Everton. He immediately changed to a back three and I started playing as a wing back, a position I didn't even I'd never even heard about, let alone played. The amount of ground we had to cover. I remember Merseyside Derby at Goodison, one of Joe Royals might have been his first game, a game we actually won, I think Hinchliffe Corner ended up with the first goal for Ferguson. But 
not. That's not the point I'm making. It's funny how you remember those. It's moments. amazing, isn't it? Yes. Jason McIntyre and myself just seemed to run up and down the flank with hardly touching the ball because Liverpool were playing the same system. You're doing as a well. do And I remember saying to him about after about an hour, I said, "How many touches have you had? In three? How many have you? Had? Four. It was just like this is just basically running up and down for no apparent reason. So other people be, could, can be really effective in the game, and we're just kind of." Doing this job for no apparent, but that, that has changed. I do feel if you look at the distances now, wing backs cover, especially with teams that keep the ball well. Mm-hmm. I don't feel wing backs are asked to run 60, 70 yards back because they do have those extra numbers and maybe yeah. an extra midfielder to help out as well. But in my day, it was if a cross was coming in from the right hand side and we were attacking, I had to be on the far post. If the opposition were attacking on their left hand side, I had to be the last man back defensively. So you're basically running 60, 70 yards up and down the field to, to, to be an attacker and be a defender. It was impossible. So no wonder your knees are I was just in, so incredibly fit. I was like the Mo Farah of that Everton team. <laughs> so we, we, were, we were praising the likes of Antonio Conte earlier for his ability to analyse the squad and decide how best to utilise those players. Are we yes, saying that yes. Joe Royal arrived at Everton? Absolutely. Look, look, look at his squad and thought the best thing that I can do with Andy Hinchcliffe is use him as a diversionary tactic. A decoy. <laughs> a massive overweight left-sided decoy and it worked brilliantly. How many conversations did you have on the field yeah. like the one that you had with Jason McAteer? That very, day? very. Cause you didn't actually play if you played as a fullback, you didn't really play against wing. I remember playing against Trevor Stephen when I was at Man City in my early days, and they played four four two, that brilliant Everton team. And you're up against somebody, but as time went by, you didn't play against anybody. So when you were wing back against wing back, all you were doing was just running. You might as well have just held hands and run up and down the. Pit. You might say, "What? We won't take part in the game. Just play ten against ten. And me and Jason will go out in the car park and just run up and down for ninety minutes. And that wouldn't have any effect on the game anyway. Just have a free three-legged race. Yes, just tie your hands together. So to re- return to the subject at hand rather than Andy Hinsley holding hands with Jason Matthews. I was just about to do that. You really are taking over. This is uh, Jason only takes one bottle into the shower. <laughs> do you remember those adverts? I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you are old enough. The, um, <laughs> and I'm also dandruff-free. <laughs> yeah, so at the risk of name-dropping, which, as we all know, I don't like to do, um, a couple of weeks ago I went to Travicciano, which is where the Italians train their coaches. And I spoke to Renzo Olivieri, who was a manager himself of Bologna uh, and is now the head of Coverciano. He's the head of the coaching stall at Coverciano, which has churned out Ancelotti and Conte and Max Allegri and all these great coaches. And it's for a piece on Conte, which will come roughly before Chelsea win the title. Check that out at the New York Times. Absolutely. Uh, but what he said was really interesting was that what he thinks the future of football... From a tactical point of view, is flexibility is not having not saying a team is playing four two three one or three four three and that is how they play. He thinks teams will be will need to be able to change their formation two or three times every game, fluidly without even batting an eyelid. And he also thinks that increasingly, the idea of a striker against the central defender is old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. And what you might see is teams playing. You talked about two number tens, two number nines deep lying. So because, two false number nines. Because that, I'm, not, I'm refusing to use the word false nine. <laughs> Ever since people started using false nine to mean crap player playing up front. <laughs> what, the Stefan Guivarch? Yeah, no, but it's <laughs> like, oh, they've got, you know, they've got someone who's, who's just not a very good striker playing up front. He's a false nine. No, he's not. He's just not yeah. a very good striker. Ever since Dries Mertens scored 24 <laughs> yeah, goals in a season exactly. for Napoli as a makeshift false nine. Dries Mertens isn't a false nine. He's just a winner playing as a striker. Not <laughs> yeah. crap, but he's just a winner playing as a striker. Scoring loads of goals. Yeah. But, it's, but it's through fluidity through coaching. Is this, yeah. is this why? 
why a lot of City players have struggled under because Guardiola is trying to teach them this flexibility. I think and so. Saying, yeah. Right, if this happens, go there. If this, you should naturally. And players have to work really hard to understand where they should be yeah. and, and try and make those changes themselves or understand that these changes need to be made in a system without being told from the sidelines. Is, yeah, that, is that why they're struggling to take on board what he's trying to teach them? I think that's probably been a factor. I think he's probably overcomplicated it as well. Mm. But we'll definitely, definitely see. I, I do wonder whether England is a little bit slower to get these changes. I think these changes tend to happen in Italy very quickly where people, as I mentioned Zaccaroni, which sounds like sort of typical hipster nonsense, but in Italy there is a greater sense of tactical innovation, I think. Mm -hmm. It maybe isn't always great to watch, but I think there is a kind of a feeling that you can try stuff, you can do different stuff, you can go into a club and say, I don't care how you used to play and what you're suited to, I will teach you to play this way. Okay. And I think in England it's a bit, we're a bit slower to pick up on that. But I, I do think that if you look at the, the very best teams, they do change. You know, that saying Barca play 3-4-3 three, three or whatever, they, they might do it at times, but a lot of the time they're in completely different formations and it's changing constantly. And because everyone's so well drilled, you kind of need that. You need to be able to say to your opposition, all right, you've, you've worked out how to do that for 20 minutes. Let's see if you can deal with this. Especially if you're, you're talking about teams playing defensive sides like I don't know for example Southampton whenever they go to Anfield just refuse to have shots on goal but no if, you, if you're presented with that you mm. need to be able to say right maybe your, your players are so good that they can shut us down but we can ask you different types of questions at different moments yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's crucial that's the future I think yes but does that just purely come from a coach on the sidelines during a game or have, do the players have to learn how the game is played and to be able to adapt themselves without being told okay you, you get you get educated you get yeah. coached but surely the players do have to work harder themselves to understand how they can affect a game I think players have to think more not just run more yeah, yeah. Yeah. Andy have you got through all your points oh yes I think I had three pertinent points players you have available tick wing backs give you width tick uh, Nigel Clough at Burton Albion tick you got through those after about six or seven minutes, we could have probably stopped at that point, and many people will be asking. It's only because you're waffled question. on. That's true. I well, like it when we do a proper, like a properly like football one, where it's like actually you're talking about like proper like football, like proper like football. Yeah, articulated like beautifully as that. I think it, it increases our kind of credibility. Does it? I think so. That's not, why not we have any. That's why there's more chinch involved because yeah, exactly. he he is the credibility core. Yeah, yeah but you do realise I've yeah. never took a coaching session or wanted to be a coach or manager in my life. It's because you have no discipline and you spend a lot of time in Portugal. What's the team in Faro? Is it Faro Rovers? <laughs> there is a far, there is a Faro team. Isn't I've there? got the perfect team for it. Is it Porto? Is it Porto, Men, Porto Menense? They've just been promoted. Fourth tier side. First yes. coaching Estrance job. De Lagos, just round the bay. Really? From where your place is in Portugal, they'd be perfect for you. Fourth tier. They only play other teams on the Algarve. You wouldn't have to travel too far. What do you reckon? Do you think they'd be open to playing the three-five-two system, Steve, over there? Do you think? I, I, I think I think the players there would be open to, to new suggestions. Because I have a certain brand of discipline. I'm not well, sure the Portuguese will be true. They haven't had the best of seasons. <laughs> They're, se- mm. they're second. They're second bottom of the table. So any Things any idea would be a good idea. Yeah, Might be yeah. the first occasion where the coach mm. isn't quite intelligent enough for the players. Yeah, that's a worry, isn't it? Yeah, they might that teach is a worry. you. Mm. Um, but perhaps you could ingratiate yourself with the new team by telling them a fun soccer story. Oh, I see what you've done. So here. it's time for never mind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story! This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing or broadcasting days. We have uh, widened it out slightly, though I believe this is from your playing days. That has all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details. <laughs> removed um, as we enjoy half a pretzel and maybe a bit of donut. Andy Hinchcliffe, what a soccer story. Well, as you all know, I spent four glorious years at Sheffield Wednesday, 1998 to 2002. It's just a golden era. For them particularly. <laughs> yeah, the club got relegated. But anyway, 
Anyway, this is this must be yeah late 1999, start of 2000. There was the training ground at Sheffield Wednesday. They, they kind of built the, the the main building, so it's like dressing rooms and like a, a a cafe and somewhere to eat and stuff. But for some reason, they had like a, a porter cabin with the gym in it, and another porter cabin uh, with a lady in it who served kind of before training kind of teas and coffees and stuff. It was very strange. I didn't at the time I didn't notice how terrible this was for a Premier League <laughs> club to have. I thought, what on earth have we got? Apparently it came from like an old hospital mm. that they bought. So they put it up and put the gym in it. So we used to use that. But I'm gonna have to change the name of the lady that because the story is about her. And because I don't want to actually name her, I'm gonna give her a fictitious name. Let's call her Desdemona. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> so this lady she was the kind of lady that you, you presume has about a thousand cats back at home. You know, a certain type of that could do with a good wash. Right. But anyway, she was a lo- heart. Oh, she was lovely. Typical and she Yorkshire was serving woman. Your food. She, this is the, what the story <laughs> right, is about. Okay. We had this porter cabin. So before training, we just train at half past ten. So we'd all kind of go into her little porter cabin. It was kind of a long, and it had like a like a bar thing at the end with a tea urn. And she used to make all the teas and like two benches down the side of the porter cabin. So players used to troop in. Desdemona, can I have a cup? I nearly said a real name there. Desdemona, can I have a cup of tea, coffee? Used to get that and then sit down. So there's like Paolo Di Canio, Benny Carboni, name dropping, Andy Booth, Vim <laughs> um, <laughs> Young, all these. So we're all sat there. And then what, it's about Christmas time. She had this like a metal tin full of these homemade like jam tarts and lemon Ooh, tarts. And black tarts, which is what we thought. Lovely. But remember what I've said about Desdemona and her personal hygiene. <laughs> so we come in, we get our cups of tea and coffee, and we see all these. This other homemade jam tarts and lemon tart. Can we have one? Of course you can. Of course you can. So we're all sat there eating on these. She was saying the, the fillings delight. Oh yes, it's homemade. It's jam. It's blackcurrant. It's lemon. And we're going. This pastry. It's really light, isn't it? It's really light and lovely. And Desdemona said, "Well, it's that pastry is really special. It's a, it's a wonderful material to work with." And we said, "Why? Because of the taste of what you put in it." She said, "No, it really gets the dirt out from under your fingernails." <laughs> And the next sound you heard was 15 or 16 Premier League players <laughs> spitting all these jam tarts all over the floor. It gets the dirt out from under your fingernails. Why would you say that? But that's the type of woman she was. Vim Young wasn't happy. I bet he wasn't. He wasn't a happy man. He was fairly dour at the best of times. He likes a clean pastry. Yeah. He likes clean pastry. Known yes. for his hygiene. He doesn't want him. fingernails or MRSA in his jam tarts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, terrible, terrible time. By the way, um, thank you to everybody uh, continuing to send in your Ask Chinch questions. I hope you enjoyed the ones on the last show. Hashtag Ask Chinch if you have a question for our sensational former England international. Send them to at Set Piece Menu or Set Piece menu at gmail.com. Please do subscribe, share, rate and review the podcast as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Follow us in Twitter. A reminder again at Set Piece Menu. Thank you to everybody who's got in touch and continues to do so. We rely on you a great deal, almost financially. Uh, thank you to Steve, Rory and to Andy and to you as well for listening. We'll be back with another Set Piece Menu for you to enjoy very soon. I bet Benny Carboni was a fiend for the lemon curd. I was just going to say, what's your, are you a fan of a flavoured tart? <laughs> I like my, I like... <laughs> <laughs> on your continental <laughs> travels. I like my tarts flavoured. I like uh, a jam tart. My mum makes Stra- jam Strawberry tarts. or blackcurrant? My favourite type of jam is seeded raspberry. 
Has to be Doesn't seeded. Still the seeds get. That's the best bit. Picking them out later on. Is it? I, d- I don't. Really don't like a de-seeded raspberry. Raspberry's good for that, though, isn't it? Raspberry's good for the old seeds. Oh yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I love a seeded raspberry jam. Yeah. Quite like a strawberry jam. Can be a bit sweet. Mm. Uh, Blackcurrant's okay. Mm. It's your base jam, isn't it? It's, you know, no, no one gets excited have about blackcurrant jam. Have you ever tried wild blueberry jam? Certainly not. Right. I'm from well, Yorkshire. I'm from Leeds. We Before you leave, I will give you at least a small taste a of sachet. wild blueberry jam. Does, does the wild change anything? No, it just adds about forty p. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, yeah. 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 What about you, Steve? I can't believe we're not talking about Bakewell tarts. Do you like a Gainsborough tart? What you've done I, I, I feel like this is something I need to introduce myself to. Now, Bakewell tarts with almond, isn't it? Yeah. A Gainsborough tart must be with desiccated coconut. Really? If you want, I can get my mum to knock you up a knock, knock you up a batch. We could do this. Do the podcast at my mum and dad's house. What? Whilst being I think served a selection of cakes by Doctor Smith. Doctor Smith, former Doctor Smith, she's been retired and disgraced. Did she offer jam tarts to the wrong person? And it was, you know, considered. Uh... It was when she was prescribing them as a cure as a cure all <laughs> for illnesses. <laughs> I think she, she's, we've had some with Doctor Smith, the former Doctor Smith <laughs> jam tarts. I think you had some once. And we, I think we, I did. Yeah, yeah we yeah. had some jam I tarts. Regularly get, so I regularly get. My mum supplies me with. In fact, we went went around the other day and. My mum's away. My dad was there, but she, my mum was still cooked up a whole batch of those coffee buns. Oh, they were lovely, Just as yeah. she knows that when I go to their house, she, she, she thinks I expect there to be co- coffee buns. The one thing She's I can tell mom. from your mother's... Because all her cooking's a bit misshapen, isn't it? You know, you go M&S or something. Uh, there's, kind of, there's, there's, there's a uniformity to their... Careful. <laughs> Hers are a little bit... You're going to have to dig yourself out of trouble. Ramshackle's always the word to dig yourself out of trouble. They are tasty. Where's this going? Tasty. But they look like they've been dropped out of a moving car. 